Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You're listening to The Times. Go to thetimes.co.uk. Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times. Now with goals. Hello and welcome to The Game, the football podcast from The Times, where Premier League fans can get every goal, every game, everywhere. I'm Gabriel McCarthy and I'm delighted to be joined this week by Rory K. Smith, Matt Dickinson, and Stuart Robson. Let's kick things off with a blue day in Liverpool. Everton and Chelsea, Dicko Jose Mourinho comes out after the game and talked about how they dominated, and it was just one of those things that they came away with zero points and the worst start of any manager in the Roman Abramovich era, I might add. Uh, is he right? Yeah, sack that fool. What does Mourinho know? No, I mean, well, they certainly had the chances to win, didn't they? Eto had a few. Schell uh, stuck one over the, the crossbar, didn't he? I mean, the first half, they looked like they would should um, get ahead um, and, and should win. I, I mean, I think clearly there's going to be a bit of adjustment time and we, we're going to, um, you know, the nature of our profession, the nature of football is that we all want to rush to judgment. And um, um, But there's an awful lot of settling down to be done by you know, an awful lot of teams, especially the top teams in, in the league. And... Um, not least Chelsea, where you know, the manager. I mean, as as Mourinho. I mean, yeah, Mourinho is speaking the truth while giving himself some excuses when he keeps talking about you know the players he has been given. Um, I mean, clearly Eto was was one of his choices, um, but you know he's sort of talking about this is what I must do with this squad. This is what I must do um, with with the hand I've been dealt, uh, and he's. Just, Trying to buy himself a time, a bit of time, because he clearly knows that it's not not necessarily going to be well. Certainly not going to be comparable to the 2004-2005 version that he took over and could dominate from the start. Do you guys uh, share Dicko's view? I, I mean, because uh, yeah, just for context, looking at the games until now, they demolished a horrible whole side. They really, I thought. Huffed and puffed to get past uh, to get past Villa. Mm-hmm. It was the stinker at Old Trafford where both teams seemed to park the bus. And now this, where I thought actually they didn't play that badly. I, I thought they did this, maybe played as well as they've done in any Premier League game this season. I thought in the first half it was a really good game of football. It was a good tactical game. It was played at high tempo. And I thought Chelsea were outstanding in the first half. Their creativity up to a certain point. And everybody, including me, during the summer said there's one position which I think they're lacking. And that's the centre forward. Torres is no longer good enough. And Eto looked a, a shadow of his former self. Shadow? And if you ha- harsh, isn't it? And if you haven't got a centre... I thought so. I thought he didn't play well enough. And I think if you haven't got a centre forward... his first game in ages. 
Torres. But you're bringing him in. He's left Torres out the side. If he comes into the side, he's got to play well. And that was. The, and you asked me why Chelsea didn't win the game. The reason they didn't win the game is because the centre forward they had on the field wasn't quite good enough. Because everywhere else on the field, I thought they were better than than Everton. Will you join Stewart in the demolition of the legend of Samuel Eto'o? Uh, no, I think he's right. I think he's not. He's not fit enough yet but I think that can be excused by the fact as you say Gabriele in your eternal wisdom that he has not played very much football recently but I agree with Stuart that, that Mourinho will have known that he'll have seen that in training so if he's, if he's not ready then maybe he should have played one of the strikers who is fit Torres is fit he's obviously not the player he was but he is fit so why not just play him because Eto'o is a better player makes the correct run yeah, but more is experience Et- and more charisma and, yes and I agree he never plays he'll never get match fit I agree with all of that you're right about the match fitness that's kind of a, a uh-huh. A dilemma that he's in. One nil. But Etu is a better player than Torres. Yes, when he's fit, but he's not fit. Understandably so, but he's not fit. Some might say he's a better player than Torres every day of the week. Um, Dicko, uh, the other uh, choice we saw Juan Mata again. Um, obviously, there was so much speculation, and you know, and I need to go back to this for for some of the people who think that you know the media just make things up to start controversy and whatever. Um, apart from the fact that they have a million attacking midfielders, it was a journalist we all know who is extremely close to Jose Mourinho who first floated the possibility that Mata doesn't fit with the counter-attacking, high-energy style, uh, hard-work style that Mourinho wanted to um, come up with. You're asking me who? Duncan Castles, that's who. Um, who, who wrote this you know, way back in the summer. Now, I want to get your take on it. Do you get the, the impression, Dicko, that Chelsea, for reasons that perhaps we don't know or understand, are stuck with Mata, or that they had a change of heart, and now that he's there, he figures might as well play him and, and do the whole rotational thing? I think, yeah. I mean, I think there's there's more than one place. I know someone another, someone else who speaks to Mourinho sort of privately who, who had exactly the same vibe going back a few months that um, he didn't see Mata necessarily as... You know his ideal player for the type of fast break football that he plays, and, and certainly for the sort of you know, um, you know, risk averse tracking back um, sort of play that he that you know he requires from even from his his attacking players. So, you know, it was clearly based on on decent sourcing and decent evidence. I, I do think it goes a bit deeper than that. I think he he has. He had, clearly has some reservations, but he's in the squad. He's got the talent. I just think we won't see him clearly as much and as as integral to Chelsea's style as we did. Oscar and Hazard will clearly be um, more involved, and, and we wait to see just how quickly William can fit into the system and the league. And Chelsea aren't always going to have to play. Aren't always going to be playing a counter-attacking game when they're at home against sides that defend very deeply. Matter can come into the side. It probably wasn't the ideal game for him against Everton, but there will yeah, be that times. That was curious, wasn't it? At Stamford chose Bridge. this game. Yeah, again, I mean, at Stamford Bridge, when teams defend deeply, Matter's the one that can unlock the door because there won't be space in behind right. for the counter-attacking play. All right, so let me throw this out there to you, perhaps Roy or Dicko. Uh, Dicko said that he wasn't under pressure from the club to you know, make a decision on this, and the club went and let him have you know, the, the millions of attacking midfielders he has. Should he have been under pressure? Do they know something that we don't know about financial fair play and, and assets? And in terms of squad management, when you've got so many people in a World Cup year, you know, I, just to remind us, De Bruyne, Schorler, Hazard, uh, Mata, Oscar, William, um, all six of those people, of those six... I'm assuming Belgium qualify. I think the only ones who are nailed on to go are Hazard and Oscar. And only Hazard is really a guaranteed starter for a World Cup team. That's something that can come back 
to haunt you, leaving aside the, the whole financial side of things, no? Yeah, absolutely. The, those players will all want to, to play, and if it gets to January and they're not playing regularly, then they will have difficult decisions to make. I think with, with matter particularly, does it I mean people like De Bruyne and... And even so do you, sorry, do you think that you revolve your uh, whole career around a World Cup? No, but I think, I think that if Matter's not playing, he will, he will, and it gets to January, I think he will start to think, hang on, there's half a chance I might, might need to go here. I think that is a possibility. I'm not saying, obviously, mm. you don't, he wouldn't necessarily think, right, I'm not playing, I've definitely got to go. But it will form part of his thinking, I'm absolutely certain of that. I mean, the Rooney, the Rooney thing could have obviously been the game changer. I mean, if they'd, got, if they'd got Rooney and had to pay, obviously... You know, forty million quid for Rooney. Then that could have that could have um, changed the matter situation, as Roy says, because I think then there would have been some pressure applied to to bring to bring money in. Um, now that Chelsea, as we know, are a perfectly run break even club with um, who. who um... It's quite interesting, though, Matt. Wouldn't you say that they were after Rooney because if he doesn't like matter because yeah. he's not a counter attacking or he's not a quick counter attacking player and won't burst forward, well, Wayne Rooney's not that sort of player now anyway. Well, that's a fact. It was. It would have been fascinating, wouldn't it? Because we we have to work on the basis that he would have played Rooney as a nine, and obviously we know he did that, you know, tremendously for Manchester United for for one season in. Um, I think it was in 09-10, wasn't it? When he, you know, he he excelled as a, yeah, as a number nine. But it's certainly not the position that we've sort of come to see him in. Um, and and as you say, as as he gets older and, shall we say, probably um, rather less mobile, even less you see him in that position as a, um, in the Chelsea system. So that there was a curiosity about that, which I, I could never quite resolve, to be honest. Of course, there's some conspiracy uh, theorists out there that uh, who suggest that. This whole Rooney thing was always a smokescreen, and that uh, by talking so openly about it, all he was doing was messing with David Moyes' head and perhaps uh, uh, doing Paul Stratford a favor. But hey, we'll never know, or maybe we will one day. But I want to talk Everton because, um, you know, we all Roberto Martinez fans, aren't we here? Uh, we all praised the squad they put together. Gareth Barry looked good. I thought it was a bit absurd how people like praised this, oh, this tackle of the century, blah, 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 on, on Samuel Leto there when, uh, Stuart, I mean, help me, you played the game. Well, when that happens, it's instinct and you just kind of rush across and you hope that you get a foot to it, right? I mean... Yeah, it's, it's good a, determination, it was good awareness from him and all that and he reacted well. But it's uh, not like it, it's a defensive no, masterpiece. No, I mean, no it's, it's, it's the obvious thing to do. You, you race across, you try and get a block in and that's exactly what he did. But, but he, he did play well. I... Can we, can we talk a little bit about the way this is looking? I mean, Barry, Osmond, Barkley, McCarthy to come in. Is this what you'd pictured from Martinez? No, it's not what I pictured from Martinez because I, I met him in the summer um, at the Confederations Cup and he talked all about playing with three at the back, how he was going to play with three at the back, and he obviously hasn't played with three at the back. He was talking about Darren Gibson being one of the centre-halves. Then he bought Alcaraz, and obviously he hasn't been fit. So I think when... He was tricking you, Stuart. Yeah, well, I think when Alcaraz gets fit, he definitely wants to play with a back three. That's really? the way he thinks that, that, that uh, football should be played these days, it's and like, he will eventually so go to that. What would you do then? You have Distan, Jadielka, and maybe Darren Dibson, which would be interesting, as the back three. You could still play three in midfield, but you, you yeah, have but two. You still have Baines and Coleman. Coleman as your full-backs. Then you have Barry, Bartley, McCarthy, 
Osman. Three, three, six, one. There you go. What Osman just behind? It depends the how you do. You sometimes, some when you uh, and, and Gab will know this about Italy. A lot of them play with two up front. When you play with yeah. three at the back, you play with, with with five across midfield, with with one sort of slightly further forward, and then they play with two up front who try and link up. I'm not sure that's the way Martinez would play. He didn't really play that way at Wigan. He to, played with an overloaded. To midfield be fair, up front. when he talked to you, he didn't know he was getting Lukaku, um, and, yeah, and that true. might that might change things. Maybe uh, you know might make him more prone to to, to wingers perhaps um, or, or or whatnot. Um, they don't. They don't massively have the huge resources at, on the wing, do they, Everton? Does, I mean, I, I really like Leon Osman. He's a good technical footballer, like Pinar, but he's not. He's not an out-and-out winner. Does De La Feu? It's not that. I, yeah, you do wonder whether they might go three six one or something. That'd be quite. Ah, oh, it's just Roberto Martinez being an, an innovative genius again. Um, Nate Smith, I, I, on on the goal. I mean, you could say it was against the run of play or whatever. Mm. Is that a defensive blunder there, Stuart? Uh, I, they didn't react quickly enough at times. I, I saw John Terry go towards the nipper. He tried to recover back in. They didn't defend the ball to the far post. Uh, I don't think there was too much they could have done about it. Uh, Everton had players in the right positions. Ivanovic d- didn't defend it well enough at the far post. And I say John Terry had just gone uh, across the field and then tried to get back in. Uh, but there was other things that happened that made them make those sort of runs. So I, I don't think there was too much wrong with the defending. I think uh, Jose Marino would be disappointed with it. But you couldn't say there were, there's, the, there's the mistake or there's another big mistake. It was they reacted to other things that happened and it just so happened that the ball went exactly where they didn't want it to go. Moving on to the Britannia Stadium, uh, Stoke and Manchester City. Um, it's funny because going into this game, I was asked to sort of pick out, you know, where could we see an upset or at least one of the favourites not getting all the points. And given the way City have played of late um, and, and given that, you know, you had a highly motivated Mark Hughes uh, in there against them, I thought this could be it. And I felt vindicated. But I was a bit sad because, like Rory, I've been picking up Pellegrini um, the whole time. And I thought this was absolutely horrible from Manchester City. I don't think there's any excuse. I, I know he's, he's rotating and whatever else and Aguero and he came back from the international break, all this jazz. But, you know, you didn't have 11 turds out there. I, am I being harsh on how bad... Do I have my expectations for City too high? No, I'm disappointed with uh, what Pellegrini's done because I saw them a lot during pre-season and I thought their free-flying football was excellent. They were trying to press the ball high up the field. They were uh, playing at a really good tempo. They were getting their full-backs high up the field. There was great rotation in the front areas. Didn't see that on Saturday. And the one, But the one criticism I did have of their uh, form in pre-season was that they tried to play this really high offside line without, in my view, knowing exactly what they were trying to do with it. And it looks as though they could be broken down. Well, that wasn't the case on, on, on Saturday. So all the things I've seen over pre-season, the first few games, didn't come to fruition. They didn't play at high enough tempo. They didn't look as though they were going to score goals, but they didn't look that poor defensively. So it was, it was a strange performance from Man City. Um, Dicko, are you, are, you, are you happy? I mean, obviously, he rotated, uh, again, he rotated a lot. Uh, Fernandinho, Dzeko, um, obviously Aguero. Uh, and obviously, company's not there. My colleague Tony Cascarino made a big deal about it in his Tony Awards. But does this, this company's absence explain why they were so horrid? No, not at all. I mean, I think I, I think it, it it looks like a, a another manager groping around a little just to see what parts fit. Um, but I mean, you look at the looking at the lineup, it it seemed oddly oddly flat from the start. I mean, I think. <laughs> 
I don't think... Um, I'd prefer to see Yaya Torre further forward for one thing. Um, I don't think... Uh, I mean, when Nasri has a game as horrible as that, um, you're sort of pretty much down to a, a three-man midfield. It looked an un- uninspiring way it, the team was set up from the start. Um, and, and I'd say, I, th- I think, you know, we've seen so much change at, so, at, at, at these big clubs in the summer. You know, we see a game like that. And, we, you know, I was at the Newcastle game where they were, you know, blitz them in the first game of the season you saw one city and you saw them on on Saturday against Stoke and it you know I mean half the team's changed and the style are completely changed and I think there are you know a few clubs like this that we're sort of grope they're groping around to find any kind of of rhythm and when the manager's making as much rotation as that it's not going to help I do wonder whether he'd actually help himself by settling down the team a little more but then equally when you've spent a fortune on Jovetic and, and Negredo how, e- how easy is that to do? I think the other thing is that when, when new managers come in and, and results kind of they, 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 I think Cardiff sort of rattled them a bit understandably and then I, I saw them against Hull they weren't they, they, they weren't quite lucky to win they probably deserved to win but they were look, certainly lucky not to concede um, I think what the, what the managers tend to do is, is try and just get the, the one basic which is we will not concede right so as Stuart says the lines got deeper they're basically saying right we'll, we, will, we will keep a clean sheet and we will build on that, and that I would guess is a process that will take but a month, six weeks for him to, for Pellegrini then to add a little bit of rhythm and tempo further forward. But his main priority at the moment will be, will, will be to avoid defeat. I'd have thought. What message does it send that when you continue playing Javi Garcia at the heart of your back four? When you've signed Emicheli, so I'm assuming he was on the bench. I'm assuming he's he's unfit or just not very. Well, good. no, it may well. But do you not think that he'd have looked at Stoke and thought? I mean, I know Stoke have changed and they're, they're playing well, more they, attractive they, football. They but he play a big, strong guy like Javi Garcia. No, but I wonder whether he, he maybe thought that that's not the place for Martin Demichelis to begin his career okay. in England. What about Julian Lescott and Dedrick Boyata? I mean, Lescott, I agree with you. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think Boyata's terrible. Uh, either. Okay. But I, I don't know. It just it just looked to me like it just, just seemed like very sort of curious choices that he made. And I mean, like. You and I love the guy, and that's why it pains me so much. But what? How do you see? Is, is, is when we see stuff like this, in your opinion, Roy, is it a case of him not knowing certain things about the Premier League, or is it just a case of him perhaps making poor choices on the day, or or, or, or things just happen? Well, I think Ditto's right. To be, to be honest, I think he's he's probably looking around his squad and thinking which bits worked where, and trying to he's st- he still got questions. He's only had three months. I, that's that's not kind of. A blind but they got defense. all the transfer dealings done early. Yeah, but you know they what? They had all their ducks in a row. They did. They did all that as they should have done. But the one thing I'd say about City is the signing of Jovetic. Right. So you've got Sergio Aguero is your first choice striker mm-hmm. in Manchester City. Has that to be. Has to be. He is one of the three or four best players in the Premier League. Well, sorry, first choice it depends if you play. Why not? I mean, you could well, depends play how you Aguero play. Yeah. A wide position as well. You, you, but you have to play Aguero. Yeah. Jacko seems to have started, and you've signed Aguero, which suggests that he wants kind of a target man alongside Aguero or with Aguero and Silva sort of buzzing around him. Or Navas. Or Navas, yeah. Navas then is the, is the natural kind of white, natural width. So you've got Silva, Aguero, Navas, and then one of the, the front men. Where does Jovetic fit in? Why did they sign Jovetic? I, I might argue that Jovetic is actually quite versatile. He can play as a first striker, a second striker. Maybe he just sees Jovetic as the, the backup to three or four different positions. That's a lot of money to spend on backup. It is. And also, I mean, it's interesting. Dzeko, I mean, Dzeko is one of those players that, and it's been said for, for quite a while, that he needs he needs a run. I mean, he needs he needs to feel loved. He needs to to, to get into a, a flow. He's not a player who can sort of, you know, come in and out. I mean, that was the, the sort of I guess the great thing about you know United with their, their, when they had the the four strikers was that the the players who came off the bench 
you know accepted their roles and knew knew the roles and 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 almost became skilled in in changing a game off the bench but you know Jeko is not necessarily someone who's 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 got that capacity you know physically um, or psychologically and that's that you know that's another problem for 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 Pellegrini is just trying to work out you know not just who he picks but what effect it's going to have on those players he doesn't pick but I go back to an earlier point you made, Matt, about Yaya Toure, where he plays in the team. When he plays as one of the deeper midfield players, he slows the game down. He slows the tempo of Manchester City's build-up play. When he plays further forward, he, he starts running with the ball. He starts driving forward. And he's a f- far better player. And that's why I could never understand why Mancini didn't stick with three at the back last season. Because when he, when he played three at the back, it meant that Yaya Toure could play behind the front two. And it looked a much better formation when they were doing that. I can tell you why. Because he had a bunch of players who just couldn't see to understand the thing and needed a bunch of people in the media and a bunch of ex-pros like yourself although not you specifically saying like why is he playing a back three it's so negative it's so thick it's so stupid blah 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 it was brilliant when they played I saw them all through pre-season playing with a back three and how the players couldn't cover he did it all pre-season and why didn't he do it once Um, that season started I want to get a word about, uh, about Stoke because obviously there was so much negativity, I thought, around Mark Hughes because of everything that went wrong with QPR and because they're always going to change the way they play, which, all right, I mean, Mark Hughes isn't Marcelo Bielsa. You know, he, he coached Blackburn. He, he, we know he can do a more direct, more physical game. He can also play a different game as well, which I think he tried to do when he was, uh, when he was at City and, and certainly at Fulham and QPR, obviously, everything went wrong. Um, should we be surprised? I mean, it wasn't that long ago that, that Mark Hughes was considered one of the real up-and-comers, right? Do you know what? There's, there's this weird desire in the media and amongst fans to kind of cast managers either long-ball managers or tiki-taka, tippy-tappy sort of passing managers. Most managers, most football falls in between the two. Hughes is not... I mean, Hughes' Blackburn were were not a long ball side per se they were a brutal side they you know they could they could mix it i believe is the is the terminology we have to use on such occasions which meant that they kicked people they were they were fairly they were tough tackling they weren't an unattractive side they were just a normal football team they sometimes they went long and sometimes they played a bit shorter hughes is a de- he's not as you say he's not bielsa he's not some great visionary he's a decent manager and i think stoke suits him because yeah. you're absolutely right they will mix it they will they're, they're the underdogs in most games and they're going to get their foot in they're going to be well organized that's what he does well. Where he struggled, Mark Hughes, is to add that little bit of creativity. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think at Stoke they're going to get that creativity. So it's going to be getting the ball forward, then from the top third of the field, then they're going to have to play around the box, get crosses in, and they will look quite a good side. But, but it's not going to be that flair. And but there's nothing wrong with that. Oh, no, that's, absolutely that, no. I'm just saying, but that's the right way to play yeah. if you're a, a side that are just below halfway, or, yeah. or well, that's where you want to be. What, what I like about it is he's also taken certain players. Like um, I've always thought Mark Wilson was actually a very, very good pass a very good pass of the ball the reason he doesn't play the higher standard is because he's tall and slow and you know and and but under the previous manager I said oh yeah you go at left back and just just hit the ball or pass the ball long uh, Pulis might say um, now he's doing what he's supposed to be doing which is he's a midfielder he's a, he's a you know he's got decent it, vision but he's can, also got two good feet as well yeah it, it, and, it, and, it, and that's the thing yeah he can he can hit it with, with both feet which, which again like you know when he was stuck at fullback I, I thought was absolutely horrible plus he'd get skinned as well mm. midfield doesn't matter if you get skinned because if you beat Wilson then you run into the monsters that are Shawcross and, and, and Hooth and I, I, I mean, to me, I think that that's something that, that, that Hughes has, uh, has certainly done well. 
Um, now, just because my cab driver on uh, uh, Saturday once at Stephen Ireland in the back of his cab, I have to ask, percentage chance Stephen Ireland regains his mojo? Rory? 36. Stuart? 25. Dicko? Uh, I'm, I'm going lower. Nothing, nothing about his past records suggests that um, Penny drops. And then I go back a few years and I remember when people were talking about how Stephen Ireland was one of the best attacking midfielders in the Premier League. He was, and yeah, he was. But mm-hmm. I'm not sure yeah. he has the commitment to recover that. And he lo- I think he's lost a bit of athleticism as well. Yeah. That time at Man City, he was running past people with the ball. He was running past people off the ball. I can't see him doing that now. He was Kevin Nolan with wheels back then. He certainly was. All right, enough of this. Time now to uh, talk uh, some refereeing, one specific referee in particular, Mark Halsey. Um, subject of a debate this week. Now, uh, a bit of background. Mark Halsey was... Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. As a Premier League referee for 14 years. Um, Dicko, I know you're writing your column about this uh, for Tuesday's paper, so feel free to jump in and correct me if I say anything that's, uh, uh, that's inaccurate, because I'm sure you've researched this much more than, than I have. But um, Mark Halsey has a book out now, and uh, some of those extracts were uh, published in a Sunday newspaper. And um, I think there, there were two things that really made headlines that, that I personally found troubling. One, perhaps a little more minor, but when you had the whole John Obi McHale, Mark Clattenburg uh, incident, uh, where you'll recall John Obi McHale supposedly thought that Mark Clattenburg had racially abused him, uh, everybody involved accepts that this was not the case now. Um, according to Halsey, according to Halsey says my information is that um, McHale burst into Clattenburg's dressing room, uh, threatened to break his legs, which I believe is a criminal offense in this country, and uh, also tried to throw a punch at him. Now, assuming he's not making all this up, um, 
he must have got the information from somebody who was in the room or possibly somebody at the FA or whichever body then investigated uh, the um, in- investigated the incident. That makes some people, I think, a bit uncomfortable that this stuff would come, should come out now in this way. The other thing is he revealed that Sir Alex Ferguson is his mate and he rings him up on a, on, on a fairly regular basis and he shares texts with him and so on. And then there was one line which actually made me physically angry where he says... It's something along the lines of, of course, I would lose the respect of the players and the fans if I showed any favoritism because he's my friend. It's something I'm paraphrasing here. And I'm thinking to myself, like, what are you? Do you think we're, we're, we're all demented? Do you think we're all stupid? You wouldn't just lose the respect. You would be cheating the game. You'd be cheating your profession. You'd be cheating your employers. I, I I was just flabbergasted when uh, when I saw that. So, Dicko, I want to start with you. Uh, can you give us uh, a foreshadowing of what your thoughts might be? When, well, exactly. When I mean, like you, uh, you know, there's troubled on a, a number of levels, and and the um, the Mikel revelations, you know, the fact that he only got a three game ban. It, it, his mitigation was, as you, as you say, that he thought he was racially abused. But it, even with that mitigation, when you see the full sort of extent of that. Um, um, the, the 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 threats. Um, it's it's that, that you, you rewind that story and and wonder whether that was dealt with properly. But like you, that that's just an aside, really. It's the whole chumminess that bothers me, and, and <laughs> this does follow in a long line of 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 referees' books. Which I mean, you know, instinctively, we all think we should defend referees. They have a blinking hard job. Um, and they get abused enough without um, without the rest of us joining in, and then their books come along, and um, you just want to, well, hurl the books at them. To be honest, I mean, Jeff Winters was a, a laughably shambolic, um, egotistical account of how the game revolved around him. Graham Pohl told the story about him basically begging um, Zidane for his shirt during a Champions League match once. Uh, and now Halsey comes along and talks about how he's text buddies with Fergie. And it's this sort of neediness that, that I'm sort of, well, certainly be writing about tomorrow, this sort of chumminess, which I'm sure is not true of every official. But it's, it's I mean, the, the most scary thing about the, the, the Halsey revelation so far is, say, there's, there's the Fergie chumminess. But, I mean, he became almost busy mates with Jose Mourinho, um, There'll be some stuff I'll be writing about tomorrow about the extent of that relationship, which involved Mourinho sort of paying for Halsey's family, admittedly after a, an illness in that family, but even so, to go to go to a five-star hotel in Portugal. Um, and he sort of says, oh, well, you know, uh, I wouldn't have gone if Jose had still been at Stamford Bridge, but, you know, I thought, well, what's, what's wrong with that? Uh, it's... it's um, yeah, it, it it raises at the very least it just raises the troubling question of sort of how matey some of these relationships get, and as you say, the sort of barefaced um, the, the the brass neck of 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 a referee saying, "But hey, guys, don't worry. When I ran out on the pitch, I still knew that I had to do a fair job." I, I think a lot of fans just won't buy that. I, I, I want to ask Stuart a question because I, I think this is a big issue, this kind of what the referees seem to have decided is that they need to police by consent, that they need the players to kind of, that they're part of kind of a performance and the players need to be kind of on side with them. But first I want to say that I've been refereed by Mark Halsey and he didn't give me a penalty in a media game at Goodison Park. That was definitely a penalty. He is a shambles of a referee and an outrage to his profession purely based on that one incident. But the question I want to ask Stuart is, when you were playing, what did you call the referee? 
Mark. Uh, you never call them by their name. I wouldn't even know who the referee. Would it be sort of ref or ref? Yeah, just I mean, nothing. I, or... There was nothing. You, you didn't know the referee. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I, the only one I knew that was one that sent me off was David Axel. It was the only time I was sent off. So every time I saw his name on the program, but I didn't know who the ref was yeah. before the game. So you read the program and you had no communication with them. You just, you just, they just dealt with it. But I think this is a worrying trend in football, not just with officials, but with pundits, with with journalists. Everybody wants to be a mate. Mm. of the managers everybody wants to be a mate of the players and, and we go back to the, my little bit what I said about Roberto Martinez I was quite unhappy that I had to work with him on, a, on, on the Confederations Cup because how am I I then thought having spent three weeks with him how do I report on Everton's games when they're not playing particularly well and I don't like the style of football he's playing and I think he's making mistakes and that's the same with referees start to get pally with, with managers it's the same when journalists I know they have to get stories but in the end up they give biased reports because they're friendly with... I think that, that is an issue and I think you're right with pundits as well and that, that chumminess is something that maybe has, has kind of contributed, contributed to match of the day being seen as kind of a, a dinosaur's sort of playground because people are a few, a, afraid to criticise their friends. I think with referees though it's, it's fundamentally mm. more dangerous. Mm. And what was interesting in the Everton-Chelsea game when Gareth Barry gave away a free kick quite harshly I think, I can't remember who he, he brought down and he, he said to Howard Webb and you could see him mouth and he said Howard I didn't I, Howard I got the ball, Howard I got the ball, Howard Come on, I got the ball. He shouldn't be calling him Howard. All right, I don't. I want to bring this back to Halsey because, frankly, I, I appreciate what you're saying. Um, I, I personally think that um, referees, ultimately, I think we need to judge them by their work on the pitch. What I'm concerned about is the appearance of impropriety, is the flouting of the rules. And I'm concerned about something else. Do we know what circumstances he was calling Sir Alex Ferguson under? I mean, well, I have, I, I have one of them. One of them. He goes into specifics. No, 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 no. I know, but Dickel, I want to put this to you, right? I have Sir Alex Ferguson's number, right? So, I could ring him up, and we're not mates, but I know the guy. He knows me. I've spoken to him before. But if I start ringing him, right? And let's let's assume I was a powerful person within the game, like say Which a Premier are. League referee. Yes, even more powerful, as powerful as Mark Halsey was at the time. I'm assuming even Sir Alex would start taking my phone calls and he'd be like, oh, yeah, okay, Mark, all right, sure. And then I start texting him funny stories and funny pictures I find on the internet. And, and, and he'd be compelled to respond because otherwise, you know, what, you're, you're too big to talk to Mark Halsey? I, I would love to know what's going through. In fact, I have an idea of what's going through Sir Alex's mind right now, that he's being dragged into this. Because the reality here is that, I mean, in my country, in Italy, Juventus were sent to Serie B for something like this. You know, it's, it's, it, the, the PGMO code says, and they repeated it today, very explicitly, Dicko, you cannot have contact with players or managers outside of, of your job, outside of the pitch. No, absolutely. And that's what, I mean, in, well, in case people haven't read it, or one specific incident where he admits to, he, he rang Fergie to say, after the Clattenburg was accused, to say, look, you know, you know Mark wouldn't do such a thing. Um, uh, c- can you can you come out in support of him in the media? And Fergie, oddly enough, thinks, well, you know, his his well, killing about 87 birds with one stone. He basically can come out, he can defend a referee, which obviously gets him chummy um, with that referee. And to be fair, Dicker, we only have Halsey's version of this. We and, don't have Sir and, Alex. Yeah, but he gets the, and he gets the slug off Chelsea at the same time. But all I'm saying is that, yeah, but Halsey has, Halsey has willingly admitted that he rang Fergie to, to ask him of, ask him a favour 
um, to throw his weight behind. Now it's just, I mean, it's it's the it's the naivety almost of the admission that is that is that. I mean, obviously Halsey's moved on, but I mean, as I say, it's the same with with Paul's book, and and uh, you know, I don't want to brand the whole. Um, the whole profession based on the the mad rantings of, of of a few of them but it's you know we, we all go to games we all see that sort of say certain neediness and and the star buttering um is the polite way of putting it and and it's it's yeah i mean it's say it, it is troubling and, and i say i'm almost more worried about the lack of self-awareness in some of these sort of um, revelations and memoirs that he wouldn't even think that the rest of the world will go Oh my God! What you know? What were you doing all this time? And and what what more lies underneath? That was kind of my point about what what players call referees. I've spoken to referees before, and they say they try to build these relationships with players. And that I can understand the yeah the the theory behind it. But I think the danger is, and the, the fact that do you know even the fact that they're publishing books shows this. The referees are convinced of their role. That they're, they're convinced that they're, that their role in this whole thing is far more interesting than it ought to be. As Stuart says, they should be anonymous. They shouldn't have relationships with people in the game. If, if, they, if certain referees think they referee better when they've got that kind of relationship, I, I really yeah, don't. Possibly. I really don't have an issue with it as long as they apply the rules. But I, so you don't have an issue. You don't. So you don't think? Okay. I mean, to, to go on the poll example, he begs for Zidane for a shirt. Zidane. Um, and then Zidane basically says uh, he, Zidane goes to take his shirt off at the end of the game to give it to him. At which point he says, "Oh no 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 no! Don't do it on the pitch," because he knows you know Paul clearly knows it's going to look like it smells to high heaven. Zidane comes to his room afterwards to give him his shirt. Now, if you're you know you, you, if you're the opposition, you see that. If you're anyone who sees that, you, that doesn't that doesn't trouble you. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right, Matt. And I'll, I'll use an example. I was uh, head coach at Wimbledon, and we played at Blackburn, and I can't remember who the referee was, but Graham Souness was the manager of Blackburn at the time. Sui. And before the game, during the game, the way the referee was talking to Graham Souness was as, as if he was in awe of him. You know, in the in the when we were given the hand in the teams in before the game. To be it, fair, he is Graham Souness. And what a great player he was, and what you know, good manager he was. But the great pundit too. But the but the the uh, the referee was was embarrassing. How how how, but, how nice he was to him, and, and when when Graham Souness was giving him stick during the game, he said, "No, don't worry, Graham. You know, I understand what you're saying. It was imba- it was just wrong." If, if they have these the, relationships with people, how can they? The, it, it is na- you are opening yourself up to a huge array of potential sort of complications. That's the, that's the issue. Well, the, that's precisely the appearance of impropriety. And I'm, and the other thing also is. I have a huge problem with you going out and revealing what happened in what happened in, in, in a private confined space. Somebody in that room leaked to yeah. Halsey what happened, or I'm assuming there's witness statements. Somebody at the FA did. Now, if, if I'm the FA, I'm extremely concerned about, the, or indeed the PGMO. I think if you I think if you read his book, it, you, you'll be in no doubt as to who. Whose version? Who? Who's? Who he is speaking on behalf of? Put it that way. Well, Clattenburg. Uh, I would be uh, dumbstruck if that was not the right answer. We, we, yeah, it could be Clattenburg. Could be one of his. Whatever the case, right? If 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 if, if, if the PGMO comes to that conclusion, you drag Mark Clattenburg and his three assistants in there into your room. You don't have control over Di Matteo and Newton and Mikel. And I think it's safe to assume that it wasn't Chad Obi Mikel who who said like, yeah, I think he, I thought he called me an effing monkey, and so I went and threw. You know, I'm assuming Mikel's not ringing up Halsey. And you put those people and say, do not lie to me. Did you go and talk about this with Mark Halsey? Right, and then see if they look they look you in the eye and they tell you the truth, because I think this is a situation where trust has been broken, 
And I think it, it's going to become increasingly hard to have faith in the FA, in the disciplinary uh, procedures, and even in the referees. Because we saw, and we'll get to this in quick hits or coming up in a minute, we saw a referee make a colossal mistake this weekend, right? Um, I want to think he made a colossal mistake because he had some kind of brain fart or he read the situation wrong or whatever else. I do not want to, I, it makes every referee's job more difficult when we've got this kind of thing going on. And, I, and I'm just shocked how irresponsible Halsey could be. Well, I just think, I mean, above all, it just makes you think that they, they, Mike Riley and the questions about whether Mike Riley is tough enough for that job full stop. But, I mean, he clearly needs to be sitting down with these guys and just absolutely reading the riot act about what type of relationships they have. And as I say, it's, I mean, um, and ultimately, you know, as you say, in some ways, we should judge them on their work. But I'm afraid in the position they're in, the appearance of fairness is, you know, is is no less important, and that's that's absolutely crucial. And and I'll, I'll tell you what, I mean, I think Mike Riley, I've met the guy. He's a nice, he's a, he's a nice man. If he, need, you know, I, I agree with you. He needs to read the right act. He needs to get tough on these people. If he doesn't do it, bring back Hackett for one last go round. Because I, I'll tell you what, Hackett would not. He had other faults, perhaps, but he would not have put up with this. But I'd, I'd like to make a plea to our thousands and millions of listeners: if you're thinking about buying a book by a referee, there is an entire canon of literature out there that would improve your mind and and add add great wisdom to your to your life. Do not buy a book by a referee. <laughs> It's ridiculous. And then you can move. It's, it's, I think it's a gateway drug. Apparently you move on to Traffic Warden memoirs after that. It's just awful. Go and buy something by Umberto Eco or something. Go and buy, buy a good book. All right. Uh, Manchester United defeat Crystal Palace 2-0. But Ashley Young, oh, great. Here comes Rory. Another question on referees. Ashley Young makes headlines for the wrong reasons. He's accused of diving twice. He gets booked for one. He wins a penalty for the other. Davey Moy says you'll speak to him about it. Rory, you're known for sticking up for players who dive, especially foreign ones. What do you make of Moyes' statement? Isn't he kind of hanging Young out to dry? And also, wouldn't a referee behind the goal, like Michelle Platini suggests, have uh, rumbled Young? Yes, he would have done. I think that is absolutely correct. I don't see why they've not introduced that in the Premier League. Moyes' statement is kind of hanging you out to dry, but I can see why. I think Moyes does genuinely dislike diving, and, I, and he should discourage Ashley Young not from diving. He should discourage him from diving badly. That is the problem. If you are good at diving, dive. If you know how to win a foul, do it. If you're terrible at it, which Ashley Young is, don't do it. You make yourself look like a moron. Yes, any parents out there, please disregard. And then don't allow Rory K. Smith near your children or you will teach them how to cheat. All right, Stadium and Light. Bakari Sanya holds back Altidore. Door uh, bearing down on goal. Big Strong Josie shrugs him off just as Martin Atkinson blows his whistle. Altador then goes on to score, but Atkinson calls it back and doesn't play advantage, nor does he send off Sanya for denying a goal-scoring opportunity. Uh, come to think of it, I guess it was Atkinson himself who denied Altador's goal-scoring opportunity, so maybe he should send himself off. Um, Dicko, please make sense of this. Uh, well, the only sense you made is the referee's made a horrible ricket, hasn't he? I mean, it, it was a clear case where he could have given... Uh, a bit of a, a few seconds advantage. He waits to see if Altidore sticks it in or not. And um, when he doesn't, um, uh, well, when, when Altidore does and he's already blown his whistle, um, he realises, I think the TV caught him looking um, sheepish, I guess is the best way to put it. He, he realised he'd, um, he'd dropped one um, and dropped one pretty badly. Stuart, here's a chance for you to say something nice about the Arsenal. How about that? Would you rather wax lyrical about Mesut Ozil 
or Rambo, Aaron Ramsey. Uh, one guy was dumped by Madrid. The other one was unloved by the media and the Gooners not that long ago. And yet, between them, they ripped Sunderland apart. Well, I was doing the game, and uh, and I made Aaron Ramsey the man of the match, not just for his two goals, but he's for his all-round performance, I think. He's uh, come on in leaps and He bounds. has come on, and they've got a good formation. And they're going to destroy a lot of teams in midfield because they played a diamond in midfield. They left the left-hand side open, although Jack Wilshere was probably started out there. They're a great positional rotation, and they almost played with wing backs with Jenkinson going down the right-hand side whenever Walcott went in field and Gibbs likewise down the left-hand side. The only problem I can see is if they don't defend corners particularly, Arsenal look a much better side this year and it was held together by Flamini. You talked about Ozil, you talked about Ramsey, we've talked about Wilshere. You have to have a player that can defend as well and Flamini did that job really well against Sunderland. So tactically, Wenger nailed this one. He certainly did, but will they defend well against the better teams? Newcastle get a huge Huge three points at Aston Villa as Hatem Benarfa steals the show. Rory, you had a bunch of sarcastic tweets on this subject on Saturday. I expect you to have something to say about this. Yeah, my, sar- my sarcastic tweets were about the fact that Newcastle started the day, the day 12th uh, and they've spent most of the season in crisis, apparently, and Villa, who are the kind of coming force, the young butt of the Premier League, started the day 13th. Newcastle deserved to win. Benarfa was fantastic. He is cutting inside from the right on his left foot. He terrifies defenders, but I think the person who deserves a huge amount of credit, although I didn't even man of the match in the paper today is Mapu Yanga Mbiwa who gave an absolute masterclass of how to deal with Christian Benteke Yang Mbiwa is a monster. I hope he gets regular uh, playing time going forward. Uh, it was quite a week for Gareth McAuley. He uh, scores a goal against Luxembourg for Northern Ireland, uh, but they somehow contrive to lose. And then he gets a last-ditch equaliser for West Brom at Fulham. And, and I believe he also uh, scored against Portugal as well. Um, Dicko, we often overlook the little guys, especially people like Macaulay, who uh, is now 33 years old, but I think seven or eight years ago was, uh, was, was playing amateur football and had a, had a real job, or a day job anyway. Um, do you want to wax lyrical for me? Uh, are we really are you expecting me to get excited about Gareth Macaulay's far post header against... I mean, I know it's good for West Brom, and they, they've, they've got, um, they got a point, which they desperately need a point, but... Um, he scored a goal in a losing embarrassment for Northern Ireland. You know what? I expected something loving or maybe even sighed like something scientific about the chances of somebody being in a different possession, uh, in, in, a, in a different profession, and then a few years later living the dream of being in the Premier League and playing internationally for his country and stuff like that. It may be, may, maybe I'm being cruel. Maybe, maybe this was a, a week when the Macaulay family celebrated like never before, but I, I'm, I'm hoping they have better ones still. He was putting up drywall <laughs> six or seven years ago. Now he scores in three consecutive games, and he's an old central defender. I think that's pretty cool. Anyway, Stuart, there were plenty of Ericsson skeptics out there before he signed. He was too slow. He was too soft. He was too unathletic. He was too ugly. But after those two assists for Spurs against Norwich, you're on board with Danish Dynamite, yes? Yes, I, I think he's a good player. I've seen him play poorly on several occasions over the last two or three years when I went to see him and thinking this is going to be the player. But he played well on Saturday. He linked up the play. Playing for Ajax in the Eredivisie where they win eight 0 against a bunch of mannequins. I was talking about uh, when I saw him play for Denmark. And uh, but I saw uh, uh, on Saturday he did a lot of good things. He linked up the play. He made forward runs at the right time. He picked out his passes and he looked an exceptional player. And he linked everything together. So I think it's a good signing for Tottenham and he will be one of the stars of the Premier League. Who's going to get more assists, him or him or Ozil? That's what we're all talking about, isn't it? That's the that's the big that assist this season of the new goals. 
Yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm all for stats and analytics, but that is one statistic, which I'm just not on board. I've got a new one. You can do pre-assists because Ozil gave a pre-assist for Arsenal's, set, Arsenal's third as well. So maybe you could have assists and pre-assists to prove that one of those two players is the best player in the world. If you want to indulge Rory Casemiss' uh, emerging <laughs> insanity, you can find him on Twitter. Uh, Christian Eriksen's no seem to young, by the way. Gab, one for you. Uh, big news out of Madrid this weekend, but which is more important? Gareth Bale scoring on his debut or Cristiano, Cristiano Ronaldo's new contract? Well, given that, uh, your story on this occupies page two of the game today, I'm assuming we're in agreement that it's Cristiano's new contract. I think it's absolutely huge. It's an absurd amount of money. Work it out. It comes out to about £580,000 a week to put it in terms that uh, people in this country might understand. People seem to struggle with the idea of net wages and gross wages. Um, I think it's it's hugely important. 16 months from now, he would have been in a position to uh, negotiate with uh, with any other team. This way, Real Madrid have him locked up. Um, there was a suggestion that, uh, coming from Real Madrid, obviously, that uh, they were being offered more money from uh, two other clubs and that those two clubs were Paris Saint-Germain and Manchester United. I do not believe the United bit for one minute. Uh, PSG, anything's possible. I'd imagine if there was another club, it was probably Monaco. The good news is that if he throws a strop and decides he wants to leave for more money, money, uh, there's no indication that he will, um, Real Madrid at least will get something like fair market value for him, and that wasn't the case before Sunday. All right, that's all we've got time for now, but you can catch ahead of the game, top analysis, and all the goals if you subscribe to The Times. Go do it now. For those who don't know, Ahead of the Game is basically like a 23-minute show hosted by the excellent and very handsome Matt Lorenzo, where we uh, basically go over uh, things from the weekend. It's a, it's a pretty pretty neat show, and we set up the uh, following week as well. Thank you to my guests, Mr. Stuart Robson, Mr. Matt Dickinson, who did a duathlon this weekend and played 90 minutes of football. And also drank a lot of beer, is that right? Uh, yeah, not in that order either. Oh, there you go then. And of course, Rory K. Smith, who I sense is regressing a little bit. But hey, uh, there's time to work on that. Um, you can email us at gamepodcast at thetimes.co.uk, as so many of you do every single week. We love to hear from you. You can also hit us up on Twitter. Dicko's on there. Rory's on there. I'm on there. Stuart's more of a Luddite, so um, you can write to him. He likes, he likes receiving postcards. Uh, Till next time, bye-bye. Your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification, and you're away.